Good morning, everyone. Um, the reading is taken from John 15, 9 to 17. As the Father have loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I repeat that one. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he may lay down his life for friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is my command, love each other. Amen. In a book entitled The Applause of Heaven, Max Lucado writes of a certain king. He said, no man had more reason to be miserable than this one. Yet no man was more joyful. His first home was actually a palace. Servants were at his fingertips. His name was known and loved. He had everything, wealth, power, respect. Then seemingly everything collapsed. In a split second, he had nothing. Students of the event still ponder it. Historians stumble as they attempt to explain it. How could a king lose everything in one instant? One moment he was royalty, the next he was in poverty. His bed became, at best, a borrowed pallet and usually the hard earth. He never owned even the most basic mode of transportation and was dependent upon handouts for his income. He was sometimes so hungry he would eat raw grain or pick fruit off a tree. He knew what it was like to be rained on out in the cold. He knew what it meant to be homeless. His former palace grounds had been spotless. Now he was exposed sometimes to garbage, sometimes to filth. 
He had never known disease, but was now surrounded by illness. In his kingdom, he had been revered. Now he was ridiculed. His neighbors, yeah, his neighbors turned against him and actually tried to lynch him. Some even called him a lunatic. His family tried to confide him to their house. Those who didn't ridicule him tried to use him. They seemed to always want favors. Some of them even wanted to see tricks. He was, yeah, he became a, a novelty. They wanted to be seen with him, that is, until being seen with him was not the cool thing. Then they just turned against him and wanted to kill him. He was actually accused of a crime he never committed. And witnesses were hired to lie. The jury, <laughs> that was rigged. No lawyer was assigned to his defense. The judge, swayed by politics, handed down the death penalty. And yes, they killed him. He left as he came, penniless. He was buried in another man's tomb. His funeral financed by compassionate friends. Though he once had everything, he died now with nothing. What a bleak story. What a discouraging story. What a miserable story. He should have been miserable. He should have been bitter. He had the right to be a pot of boiling temper and anger. But he wasn't. He actually was joyous. People followed him wherever he went. Children scampered after this man. Crowds clamored to hear him. Why? He was joyous. He was joyous when he was poor. He was joyous when he was abandoned. He was joyous when he was betrayed. He was even joyous as he hung on the tool of torture called the cross. His hands pierced with six-inch Roman Spikes. Jesus embodied a stubborn joy, a joy that refused to bend in the winds of hard times, a joy that held its ground against pain, a joy whose roots extend deep into the bedrock of eternity. Folks, this morning, the third Sunday of Advent, with the theme of joy. Let's talk a little bit more about joy. 
And let's ask ourselves a question. Am I a joyful person? Note I didn't ask her, are you a happy person? That's a little different. And most of us instinctively would recognize that there is a difference between joy and happiness. Yet it's a challenge to put an exact definition on that difference. So there. Could we say that joy is buying discount jewelry? <laughs> or could we say that or maybe joy is actually getting discount jewelry? Or maybe it's not the discount jewelry. Maybe it's the real thing. Maybe we get real good jewelry as a gift and, and that's joy, guaranteed. Perhaps. Maybe it's what Merriam-Webster, in her dictionary, describes joy. The emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. My goodness. Is that all joy is? It's an emotion? that comes when everything is going well, we're rich and successful and have all the stuff. Yeah, click on it, I guess. Can you go out to restaurants? Trying to energy to deal with, you know, put an happy face on. Sometimes I don't feel like that. Now you seem a bit the reluctant star. Well, the problem is, it's you can't have one without the other. You can't have the football team and not the other stuff. So, in a lot of ways, I've created this myself. <laughs> it's what you always wanted. <laughs> You're right. You're right. It has. And I didn't think it came with all the other baggage, though. The most eligible bachelor in America. Well, it's very flattering. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night. Be that. No way. Do you mean like alone or not alone? <laughs> I heard you mean by that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean... Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I love playing football, and I love being a quarterback for this team. And, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Wow. <laughs> that was 2005. You know, I'm absolutely certain if we interviewed him today, 2019, he would have the same question. Not three Super Bowl rings now, but what, six? He would probably still have the same question. 
Is this all there is? There's got to be something beyond me. And when asked, what is it? God, he says, and, and, and that's the interesting part of the, of, the, of the answer. He even says God. He says, he says God, I, I don't know. He said the answer, and he didn't even realize he said the answer. He said, God, I, I, I don't know. Living the, in, we could say the American dream, we could say the human dream. Wealth, fame, one of the most recognizable faces in all of the world. And he's asking, is this it? Because you go after wealth, you go after fame, you go after success, and you got it, you got it, you got it, and you realize, I don't have it. Because he does not have joy. So let's look a little bit more into what, in fact, is joy. One Friday, a pastor had an immense pleasure of accompanying an incredible group of young people from his church. They took food to about 500 people. So the city of Edmonton's inner city and served meals at the Mustard Seed Street Church. Their contact there, Trish, wisely challenged them to pick a face and pray for that person as they served. And in the weeks to come, pray for that person. Let me tell you about joy, the pastor said. It was in the heart of each young person as they served and as they later talked about their experience. This wasn't fleeting happiness. This was work your rear off, so to speak. Be emotionally challenged, but spend time giving. Going home exhausted, but knowing that what you did that night somehow was for the kingdom of God, somehow was what God wanted you to do, this was joy. Just before going to the cross, Jesus took the opportunity to instruct his disciples one last time. They had left the upper room and are on the way to perhaps, or they had arrived to the place of Gethsemane. In that context, Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. 
the key verse in that passage that runs from verse 9 all the way to verse 17 is, I think, verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. Told them what? He told them basically two things. He said, obey and remain. Those are two commands that Jesus gave in verse 10. Obey my commands and remain in my love. Why did Jesus give them that, those two commands? He answered that question, actually. He said so that we might have complete joy. The first command is obedience. Obedience results in joy. We sometimes believe the opposite. <laughs> that God gives us this list of things not to do, to limit our freedom and make us miserable. But actually, the opposite is true. Obedience to God is the path to joy. Not only because obeying the things we are not supposed to do saves us pain and hurt, but also because in doing all of those things we are supposed to do, we find significance, we find purpose, and we find a direction in life. The second command is to remain in his love. Henry Nguyen has said, Joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved. <laughs> Joy is the experience of knowing, of being assured that you are unconditionally loved. Isn't that a beautiful thing? We know, and we're, we're kind of going through this right now as two congregations, you know, um, you know, merging, as two congregations kind of courting with each other right now. We've passed, we've passed the flirting stage. We're not flirting anymore. We're, we're, we're courting. We are putting our best foot. Yes. Any kind of, uh, any kind of, you know, flaws or faults that we have, we kind of, well, let's, let's not talk about that right now. Let's put the best foot. Oh. And if you're married or have been married or if you have a significant other, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you're courting, you put your best foot. And you know exactly what to hide. You know why? Because you know your faults. <laughs> you know your weaknesses. You know your shortcomings. Come on, don't you? Isn't that true? And what a relief 
what an experience, whether it's by accident or whether you purposely reveal your fault, and the person still loves you. Come on now. And it hits you, not right at that moment, but it hits you maybe late at night as you're thinking about the days. They knew that about me? Oh, she knew that about me and she still loves me? There's no better feeling than that. <laughs> Amen? That's called joy. So, the merging committee made up of some members of BCC and some members of you know, Christ the King are going to meet after service. And pretty much what we're going to do, we're going to spend the first half an hour confessing our faults to each other. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just throwing that out there. But that's pure joy, knowing that we are unconditionally loved. We have two lessons from joy. Joe? Lesson one. The first lesson is this. Joy has nothing to do with externals. It has nothing to do with our clothes. It has nothing to do with how you smell. So, I mean, perfume is a beautiful thing. But joy has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with the size of your wallet, the size of your bank account. It has nothing to do with your health. Oh, and I hope you're healthy. But joy has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with your career or your position in this life. And I'm happy for successful people. But joy's got nothing to do with that. It has to do with your heart. It is a gift of God, produced by God, grown by God, nurtured by God, as long as we let God work in us. Galatians chapter 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The same is true for us. I did a brief survey of the word joy in the New Testament. <laughs> you know the old adage, birds of a feather? <laughs> Let's see who the, jo who the, um, the joy bird flocks with. So the word joy in the New Testament, 
And I was startled by how many times the idea of joy flocked, went side by side, hand in hand, with the idea of suffering. Ouch. It was actually pretty constant, very pervasive. And the message was that the externals doesn't really matter. It's not saying that suffering and joy go hand in hand. It, it was so much so a message that you might say that everything, everything that you experience in this life, has little or nothing to do with actual joy. And that even if you are suffering, you can still experience joy. Joy is about knowing that we are loved by God. We are saved by God. And then knowing that, really? Just anything else really matters? Knowing that you are loved by God and saved by God, everything else just kind of fades away. The importance of everything else just fades away. The second lesson we can learn is that joy is only found in, in giving. Joy is being focused on others rather than on ourselves. In meeting their needs instead of our own. In sacrificing our desires so that others might experience their joy. That I actually didn't find in the Webster Dictionary. <laughs> I found it, though, in the lives of men and women who invested in the lives of others. I found it in the lives of people who were given and forgiven. I found it in the life, the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords, but yet became the suffering servant. I found it in his heart, and I trust you find it in your own. There's a 15-year-old girl at my school. I'll change her name. Just in a 0.001% that someone might know her. <laughs> so we'll call her Addie. Addie's mother died when she was not yet 10. Addie's father remarried. And before she reached her 15th birthday, Addie's father died. Abby's stepmom didn't take to her. Packed her bags, drove her 
the father's only sister and aunt dropped her off and said, eat your flesh and blood. At least two times a week, two days in the week, maybe three. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like four. This girl will come to my geometry class. Eyes puffy and red. The white of her eyes are no longer white. And she sits at a desk right next to my desk. And if I'm done teaching the lesson and I'm sitting at my desk, sometimes I hear just a whimper. Sometimes the shoulders go down and the head goes down and I just see the shoulders starts to shake. And at that point, I'm no longer teacher, I'm no minister. And in a conversation I had with her, she said, Mr. Mason, I just, I asked God, why was I born? Was I just born to suffer? Was I just born to experience pain and, and no enjoyment? Was I just... Mother is gone before she was 10. Father is gone. Stepmother. I said, Abby, can you do me a favor? I'll try. I looked at her and I said, you know, your story is so unique. No one else in this school has a story like yours. I wonder if you realize that your story is not for you. Your story is for somebody else. I challenged her. I said, get a journal. Start journaling your feelings. Anger, write about your anger. Worthlessness, write about that feeling. Abandonment, write about it. And in the moments where you feel secure and where you feel loved by God, write about those two. Because your life, your moment, your, the moment that you're sharing with me right now is for a reason. I believe that God wants you to know that your life is not your own. And I told her, I said, I cannot, I cannot pretend. I cannot pretend. I, I lost my father at 15. I still had my mother for a lot. My mom just died last year. 
I cannot imagine. And I'm looking back and I'm saying, at 15, I can't imagine the situation to have lost both parents and then for a step-parent to just say, you know, I don't want you. I told her, I cannot imagine what you're going through right now, but I do believe very strongly that God has a hand in your life. And that your story is a story to be lived and a story to be told and retold. Because you will be a blessing. You know, the funny thing is, I, you know, she, I don't think she has fully accepted that. But I do notice one thing. Her eyes are not that red. The whimpering is not as often. And the meltdowns have gone from three or four times a week to probably once a week. Joy comes when we look beyond ourselves and give. When we look beyond ourselves and Forgive. When we look beyond ourselves and see and hear the needs of others. Joe? That's a funny thing. <laughs> God is calling you to joy. <laughs> but it's so true. Joy is a gift of God. One of the fruits that the Holy Spirit produces in us. But remember also that you and I, while we cannot create joy, we can't create joy within ourselves, but we can stop God from creating it in us. So part of my call to us today to receive joy must be the challenge to stop preventing God from creating that joy within us. How can we stop God? Well, we can be selfish. God says, don't be selfish. I can start. I can continue that creation of joy within you. Jesus said, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. I don't know if Melissa realized she was touching on the heart of the sermon when she made note of the words of hymn number 20. Teach us how to love each other 
Lift us to the joy divine. Amen. I call you this morning to receive joy. If you need to confess selfishness or something else that is preventing God from creating that joy within you, then simply do so. Open your hearts and pray with me at this time. Lord Jesus, we fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before you, dear God, you endured the cross, scorning its shame, and you sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We, Lord, we open our hearts before you. We confess our selfishness and the misery that follows. We confess our attitudes, dear God, that would block you from creating that joy within us. We confess, Lord, an unforgiving spirit and ask, dear God, that you would forgive us. Grant us, dear God, the grace to forgive. For this we pray, Lord, in the prayer that you have taught us that we would forgive our debtors as you would forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. We would, you would forgive our trespasses, Lord, as we would forgive those who trespass against us. That you, Lord, would forgive our sins as we forgive those who have done us wrong. For then and only then can we be able, dear God, would we be able to experience your joy? You're calling us to joy, which means you're calling us to repentance. You're calling us to joy, which means you're calling us to obedience. You're calling us to joy, which means you're calling us to love each other. We choose with our hearts, with our minds, to live for you. We choose with our hearts and our minds to live for others. And we ask your Holy Spirit would fill us and make our joy complete. We ask, dear God, that you would bless this union, two congregations, so different, <laughs> but one in Christ, together for the kingdom. We celebrate the history, one church, a, a long history over a hundred years, one church, a very short history.
But we celebrate the history of the Lord and we work together to create a legacy. A legacy of love, a legacy of union, a legacy of unity, a legacy, Lord, of wanting and desiring and working to do your will. A legacy, Lord, of uplifting your name. A legacy, Lord, of people knowing that the Holy Spirit has a freedom to work within us and among us. We pray, dear God, that you would touch those who are not here this morning because of challenges, health challenges. Not here this morning because, maybe because of work. Maybe some are not here this morning, Lord, because they succumb to the temptation of tiredness and fatigue. And we pray, dear God, that for those, Lord, who are not here, we pray that you would be with them and assure them, dear God, through your Holy Spirit, working in their, in their spirit and working in them, dear God, that they would recognize and realize that they are loved by you. Those who are here, dear God, we, we, we have needs. We have our shortcomings. We confess them before you, dear God, and we ask that you would meet us in the avenue of our need. And we thank you that we are serving a God who is not just willing, but a God who is able. And so we commit ourselves to love, and we commit ourselves to answering that call of joy upon our hearts and lives. And we pray this in the name of Christ. And the people said, Amen.